preaching for you, reading for you out of Acts chapter 18, verses 18 uh, through 27, or excuse me, 28. Hear now the reading of God's word. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. And at Sincre, he cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went up from one place to the next, through the region of Galatia and Phygria, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but but Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Faith comes from hearing and the hearing of this Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we see here in your word that there is the strengthening of all the disciples by the proclamation of your truth, by the presence of your people, and by the grace and the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that we would experience that understanding, that we would believe, and that in our gathering this day, we will be strengthened by your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I try to make notes to be careful that I would not mispronounce two of those words today, and and my screen went blank again on me. But when Paul was getting his hair cut, it was at Sincrea, and when he was in Galatia, it was in the Phrygia area of the Galatia province. And so I wanted to make that correction right off the hand because I don't want to you know cause you to be a stumbling block to each other by mispronouncing those words in the future. Today I've titled this particular sermon, Strengthening, of all, Strengthening all the Disciples, because of the statement that we see there in verse 23. And when you look at this passage right off of the surface, it looks like a lot of technical information about the 
closure of the second missionary journey of Paul. Just some points of where he was and who was he with and some things that had occurred and then an interesting interaction with Priscilla and Aquila with Apollos and some description of who he was and then the continual movement of God's appointed servants throughout uh, this closure of the second missionary journey and in the beginning of the third. But I believe from looking at this in slow way that we normally have in going through all of these passages, that the thing that I see that was highlighted the most in this was how God used these people in this particular time and with these particular means to strengthen his disciples. You have to remember the whole context of Acts is the gift of the Holy Spirit in the formation of the church, the continuation of the very kingdom of Christ, that from his ascension and now his appointment of his kingdom through his people, that even in these particular details, we should be finding strength and encouragement of how God is postured toward us. They receive strength through these particular details. And there is a, a lot here, and we could spend probably multiple sermons really in all of these particular components of this narrative. But today I want to highlight three particular things that we see in this passage that was used to strengthen all of the disciples. One, the time spent together. It is very obvious in this narrative of how there is this interaction of how much time Paul was spending, how much they desired for him to spend with them, and also how he would communicate this commitment. They needed to be together. They were spending time together. We see in verse 18 that he stayed many days longer in Corinth. That was the last place we were in last week's sermon. And then when he was in Ephesus, those in Ephesus asked him to stay longer. They pleaded with him to stay longer. But he left Priscilla and Aquila with them and declined their request to stay longer. But he did commit, verse in verse 21, I will return if God wills. This particular interaction makes me understand the Christian roots of this particular area because I remember how people will say, well, why don't you stay? And they say, well, I've got to get going. I'll come see you. Well, come see us. <laughs> Those are kind of common things. I don't know if y'all grew up in families like that. I, I heard that kind of, you know, like whenever, sometimes it was actually kind of used in a different way when it was time when they wanted you to leave. They would say, well, why don't you stay a little while? And it's kind of like, all right, you better go. <laughs> it's kind of just using the opposite. Or when you're out and about somewhere at Walmart or wherever, and then they're like, well, come see us. And like, I will. And they probably won't. But it was just kind of this way to end the conversation. Now, this is definitely much deeper than that. But you can understand that there is this, this innate desire, or there should be this innate desire amongst family and friends, and definitely amongst God's people, to spend time together. Now, in many respects, this seems like well, this would be an obvious thing. But we do live in a particular age now where being together is really not the way things are done anymore. That your friends are more virtually interactive. Your church services are more virtually interactive. 
And that for a season, as we all know in the past couple of years, being together really became a test of whether or not there was that level of commitment. And I know that there's a lot of different debates that could come from that particular argument, but we could see that that was a tested concept in the past couple of years. But we can see in his word that God has operated through his church. He has pushed and strengthened his church by people simply being together. It was important for Paul to spend time in Corinth, not to just write a letter. And you can see even in his letters how much he longs to be with them and how important it is that they have that togetherness. And we see that those in Ephesus want him to stay longer. But he must go on in the calling that God has given him. But he leaves others there, Priscilla and Aquila, to be there with them, to walk along with them, to help disciple them. And then he makes his commitment. If you think about the whole flow of Acts, the fact that Luke is spending time talking about time spent together that should teach us and encourage us that we should be those who are committed to spending time together. That coming here, even on the Lord's Day, and worshiping together is very significant. But also, even afterward in our picnic, and I'm so glad that most of you RSVP'd. I was very impressed with the RSVP response this time. I, I know sometimes I'm kind of critical about that up here, but y'all did a great job with RSVPing. But this afternoon... Your time together and strengthening one another is a part of the calling of the building of the church. It is a part of the administration of Jesus Christ's government to build his kingdom, his servants, the people who are those who inherit his goodness is through that time together. We see in verse 22, Paul going, that he's been to many of these places, but he's going back, visiting churches in Caesarea, Antioch, Galatia, Phrygia. (laughs) And he's spending time there for the purpose, as we see in verse 23, to strengthen all of the disciples. So spending time together should be a commitment to us. It should be something that we do. It should be something that we ask for of one another. It is something that we should communicate that we desire to do for one another, that we see as an example in Paul in his letters to the churches, that I want to be there. I want to be with you. I want you to come and be with me. I want to spend time together with you. Secondly, we see a highlighting of the personal devotion of all those who are involved here. If you remember last week, I was highlighting the the people, the pattern, and the providence of God's kingdom in that particular narrative. Well, that theme is still going on here with looking at these particular people. And we're going to go through and break down some of the personal devotion that we see. Very unique and somewhat distinct personal devotion that these people had for the calling and the service of Christ, but also a very unified effort in that, both with Paul and with Priscilla and Aquila, and also in Apollo. And we'll come back to that in just a second. And then lastly, as we look at these particular passages, we see highlighted for us communication. That when we are spending time together, it's not just a matter of being with each other, 
But it's what is the words that come out of our mouth spent focusing on? What are we sharing with one another? How are we strengthening one another? We do live in an age where there's tons of information. We can learn and find out about things left and right. The other day, we were... Um, there was, I think Sophia was the first one to notice that there was some kind of growl or something. I think it was Sophia. Or somebody said something's kind of rumbling. And then I thought, well, I don't know. Like, you know. She's always very particular like that anyway. And then Lydia came in and she said, there's some kind of weird noise outside. And then I went out there and there was a very strange noise outside. And a very animal sound. And I had no idea. And it was going further away. So we were very thankful for that but i spent the next day going through the internet listening to all these different sounds trying to determine what kind of animal that may have been and i determined that it was a moose okay it probably wasn't a moose but it sounded like a moose (laughs) so it was likely either a bear or a bobcat it's those were the close seconds but the only one that sounded the most likely sound was a moose of course we do not have moose in our area but we have this access to so much information we have so many things going on that we have in our brains and we have so many things coming out of our mouth we have so many avenues of both tapping into one bits of information here and there and we have so many avenues of just exploding with stuff but is that Or are those particular elements of information, are they strengthening all of the disciples? So we have to be disciplined. Not only are we to be disciplined in our time with each other, we are to be disciplined in our communication with each other. And we see here how in the communication through this narrative in verse 20, we know that there was the encouraging and expressing the desire to spend time with each other. We should use maybe some of those tips of our local region to know that it should be a common thing for us to encourage one another to want to be with each other, to stay. Of course, we have the Proverbs. You don't want to stay too long, but you do want to spend time and hang out and communicate. So we should encourage one another in in that terminology. We see in verse 24 with Apollo, Apollos, that he was eloquent. He was an eloquent man. Now we know that Paul, he says that he wasn't. And we know from Paul's writing, he's fairly eloquent in his ability to communicate. But there was something about Apollos that he was an eloquent man. It is good to be winsome and being able to communicate. It shouldn't be the primary desire because we know from Paul's instruction that if we are focused on eloquence or in our ability and the elaborateness of our speech or the eloquency of our speech, that... It could be an actual barrier to preaching the very crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That we are those who could empty the power of the cross by focusing on how we speak. You should be very thankful that that is not a barrier of mine. I'm not that eloquent. In verse 25, there is accuracy. We should be those who are truthful. We should be very careful to speak With accuracy, Apollos was known for his accuracy, that he was truthful in the things that he spoke. He didn't just go off on without any understanding of what he was saying. In verse 26 and 28, we see with Apollos that he he was bold and powerful in how he communicated the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 26, 
we see this very interesting communication with Priscilla and Aquila that they pull Apollos aside and there is corrective communication. I like to use the word reformative communication here that it already said that Apollos was one who spoke with accuracy, but I like here how it was explained that they were teaching him a more accurate way of understanding the ways of Jesus Christ. There was a reformation of his understanding in their relationship as they spent time with Apollos. There was a reformation of his understanding that will allow him to speak with more accuracy and understand Jesus Christ more accurately. And then with ending in verse 27, we see this encouraging and passing on accolades with how as he was moving on in ministry that they encouraged him and then they sent letters ahead of him that he would be well received. It's interesting where I work, there's an interesting culture. There's a lot of things about our work, my work that I see where people, I guess as, if they have fallen away from holding on to biblical ways of living their life, many businesses have tried to replicate for the sake of order in their businesses like a, almost a religious posture toward how to respond to each other. There's all kinds of harassment training given all the time and because they, wanna, they want you to learn, know how to speak and talk to each other and to be very careful. But on the other end, they also have this whole other culture about how to encourage each other. There's a very formatted way to encourage each other. They use, in, in where I work, they have kudos and they have applaud. And I think, from what I'm understanding, kudos is kind of like, you know, kind of like, hey, you did a good job. And then applause, like, you are doing a really good job with your job. So it's kind of interesting how they've organized that. And I haven't gotten any, um, well, I think I'm, I may have gotten one applaud and one kudo. And, and you can actually get a little thing to put on your shelf of whether you, you've got a kudo or not. And so it's supposed to make you be encouraged. And it's interesting how they have tried to replicate, I guess because we are a society absent from trying to adhere to this, but they know that it's a positive thing. But we, by of all people, should know from his word, and because of the power of the Holy Spirit, and because of the truth of the love of the gospel, we should definitely be those kind of people who are putting a discipline toward our encouragement to each other. I know in my own home, I have to sometimes discipline myself to even think, Wait a minute, I have so many reasons to encourage, to applaud my own children, but I spend a lot of my time correcting and criticizing and disciplining my children in a corrective manner. You have to sometimes take a moment and stop with Thanksgiving and think about ways that we need to encourage and we should speak about each other about those particular positive things. We see these things in this particular passage. What may be things that you could run through very quickly are the very essence of the calling of the church because we know from Paul's even instruction to the church that he tells them to build each other up in these ways. So we see here in this very quick and very active narrative the very action of the Holy Spirit working in and through his church. But I want to go back just a little bit and point out a few things concerning personal devotion. As we think about these three things together, the spending time to each other, having a personal devotion toward 
our service toward Christ and also in how we should communicate. I think there's some little things that, we, again, we can rush through pretty quickly that I think that we should take the time to highlight and think about because they're very unique things and things that sometimes that we struggle with. One, we see that Paul got a haircut. Now, that's an interesting thing to tell us about in the middle of this narrative. It should, by the time we finish, we should think, what was Knox? You know, if y'all notice, he got a haircut, and he, he may have had a vow. I don't know, did you have a vow that you finally were able to, to stop holding to, or did you, were you able to com- com- commit, or did you just get a regular haircut? Yeah, three vows, okay. <laughs> right. So we can see here that Paul had some kind of vow, and that when he got his hair cut, that it was meaning that he was done what he committed, he, he had fulfilled his vow, and he was able to move on. Now, if you go to number six, which I have in the order of worship in the note, sermon notes section, you can read about a Nazarite vow. Now, the Nazarite vow is an interesting vow. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about it, but it was a way for lay people, both men and women, in their service and devotion or in their request to God to set aside a time, sometimes it's for a season and sometimes it was for their lifetime, to take on a Nazarite vow. We think that John the Baptist had this kind of thing going on with him. Some people say that since... Jesus, uh, it was a Nazarene, and the Nazarenes were that way, and that's just a confusion. It, it does have some root words of separation in it, but those were not, everyone that was a Nazarene was not necessarily a Nazarite. A Nazarite is those who have committed to a particular vow that had been laid out to us in Scripture. In number six particularly, it's laid out for those who are setting aside a particular commitment and service to God. And this was a way, it was a posture to how to fulfill that vow, and it's somewhat mysterious to exactly what all it entailed. It was, for those who were not Levites, a way to put this special devotion toward their service to God. And we have no you know, information about what Paul specifically had going on, but we know he had made a vow like this, and he had finished it and fulfilled it and had cut his hair. I want to talk a little bit about that. If you go to Numbers chapter 6, and you don't have to necessarily go there now, but later on you ought to study chapter 6 of, of Numbers, you'll see that the one thing that they would do is to refrain from wine and even grape juice, anything pertaining to grapes. It even specifically points out to refrain from the seeds and from the skin of grapes. Now, from all that I can gather from understanding this, that this was to highlight that they were dedicating their service to the, to the kingdom, to the ways of the Lord, or they were requesting something in light of that dedication to the kingdom, is that they were otherworldly in their thinking, that the grapes represented the goodness from the earth, from this particular life. And it was a big picture view that there is more going on than just these particular blessings on this earth, and that they became kingdom-focused in a more New Testament way of focusing on this, but they became God's kingdom focused in their pursuits. And so they were separating themselves for a season or for their life from these particular earthly blessings to understand that there's a bigger thing going on here. And so that's what the refraining from the grapes and from the wine and from the grape juice would be about. The growing out of hair had to be a very interesting thing. Now, you all know that I haven't in some time have taken any Nazarite vow. You've, you've noticed that because 
My hair has been like this for a few years now. But when the Nazarite would take, the, allow their hair to grow out, that it was a representation of Thanksgiving, typically. That, that this was uh, highlighting their thankfulness to God, and that it was also a public account of their particular vow. Not only a public account of their thanksgiving, but that they were in a vow. And it was somewhat of an accountability thing for them, that people would recognize that they are taking this particular season to put their focus and devotion to God for some purpose, in seemingly somewhat personal purpose, because we don't see that described here by Luke. It doesn't seem to be a focus of importance, but more so that Paul had done this. And then the third and maybe somewhat unique one or interesting one, you couldn't touch dead people. Now, I know that would be very difficult for most of us because we spend a lot of time touching dead people. Now, that's a very odd thing. Like, well, we don't touch dead people. That's a very strange. I would assume from understanding this that it was a little, more, a little bit more of a common thing that we would in, be involved in. But the highlighting of that is to indicate a separation, which is where the, the word Nazarite means is to separate to be holy from things that are unclean. Now, that could be a very difficult scenario if you had a relative that died. Or if you were in a scenario where you were needing to help someone or you were in the middle of something and somebody even points out in numbers that if somebody's next to you and, you, and they end up dying and you touch them, that there was a particular sacrificial ritual that you would need to go through to represent a need for cleansing, that you needed to be holy and separate. Again, it was a posture very much like fasting or very much like being on your face or kneeling before the Lord. It was a posture before the Lord to either dedicate and or request something specific of God in relation to his kingdom work. That's kind of a big summary of what a Nazarite vow entailed. And from what I can gather from reading everything from a variety of commentators and even a sermon that I listened to, that the thing that would be the, the essence for us to carry with us is that it should be representative of what all of our discipleship should be like. Now, it doesn't mean that we need to live in a Nazarite vow. It doesn't even mean that we are commanded to take Nazarite vows. But it should be a focus, just like when we're fasting or we're praying, we are using physical means to help us to have a spiritual reality put in front of us. And so here in this situation, the spiritual reality doesn't change. Our life and our commitment, our dedication and our request should be parallel to the kingdom of God. And sometimes we have to do things to discipline ourselves as disciples to put ourselves in a posture to focus on that there is a kingdom that is bigger than our little K kingdom of our lives. It's a helping tool. It's a strengthening tool for us to help strengthen our discipleship in the Lord. Now, we should see from this that we should always be thinking about this. In all of our endeavors, and all of our relationships, the foremost thing is for us to understand that there's a bigger thing going on than... Just the immediacy. And we should ask ourselves, how is our dedication, how are our requests, kingdom-building focus? And what I like about this is this is for all of us. This is for all of God's disciples. That the Levites already had a distinctive 
place. But that even in number six, it was highlighted. This was for men and women. This is for all of God's people. You know, some people might think, well, you know, wow, that person's a missionary. What a, what a dedicated Christian that is. Or, you know, I, I'm, that particular person is working for a, a Christian company, and therefore they're dedicated in that way. Or, you know, so many different ways. There's ways that we use titles to think that the title is where the dedication is. Just like with a Levite, they were priestly, and so forth. therefore they had a, a particular title and role. But this particular Nazarite vow was an understanding that all of us could put ourselves in this particular posture because all of God's people should have this kingdom dedication. And we should be set aside. Our thoughts and our focus should be holy. And we should be going before the Lord with petitions that are matching with his kingdom. And in the middle of that, there should be both thanksgiving and this accountability in this calling of our kingdom pursuits. Let's take a moment to go to Priscilla and Aquila. Here we have a very unique couple. They're probably the most unique couple in the New Testament. And we know in, in Corinth they encountered with Paul. They were, they were coming via Rome. They were leaving because of, of how um, they were being pushed out of Rome because there was a disruption of those who were seemingly proclaiming Christ in Rome. And so they were, from what we can gather... And, just, and ascertained is that they were Christian Jews that had moved from Rome into Corinth, and they were able to team up with Paul, both because of the providential connection of being tent makers like Paul, but also because of the desire, desire to be in service to the kingdom of God. But I believe that Luke and also Paul highlights their particular relationship for us, that, and, and I think there's something here that we need to, to tap into They were obviously, they were married. And then they had this commitment to the service of the kingdom. And they were also people who were focused on the true and right doctrine of Jesus Christ. There was a woman and a man. And even the fact that they put her name first was an interesting thing for how the culture would understand this. Now the reason why we should highlight their ministry is because if we look at this particular narrative, they are landing in Ephesus for a season. Paul had them hang out there with those in Ephesus. Yes, I'm making sure I got that right. So they were staying in Ephesus. Now when we look at Paul's um, epistles to the churches, we know that Ephesians, the book of Ephesians in chapter 5, is one of the most articulate descriptions of what marriage should be like. It is merging the two, this mysterious of this earthly relationship that is a reflection of the spiritual reality of Christ in the church. And then Paul, in ministry, decides to put Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus to minister and to be an example to them, to help strengthen the Christians there in Ephesus. And then while they're there, a very um, studied and eloquent, capable minister of the gospel comes to Ephesus. And it says very specifically, when you see it distinct from other narratives of how there obviously some of these other men in the narratives also had wives too, but here in this particular circumstance, Priscilla and Aquila likely invites Apollos into their home. 
They see that from, you know, even though it says they, they set them aside or they, they, they brought them aside, that most people are saying that the language there is indicating that they, they really would have invited them into their home. And they had a conversation with them. Priscilla and Aquila had a conversation with him, and they corrected some of the things that he was saying to make sure that he would be more accurate in his teaching. This is very important for us to understand this beautiful balance that God is teaching us about the relationships of husbands and wives and those in the church. Because most people, especially people who would argue against a more complementarian type of relationship of men and women in the home and men and women in the church would say that Paul is the problem in his teaching, that Paul is antiquated in his understanding of relationships, that he, when he teaches in the pastoral epistles that women are to remain silent, or even in Ephesians that women are to submit to their husbands, that it's some kind of antiquated understanding of the posture of women toward men in marriage and in relationship with the church. And I would say this is absolutely false. It's misunderstanding the structure of how God is furthering his kingdom through these relationships of both husbands and wives and also in leadership of the church, but also highlighting the understanding of what liberties and what callings that women have here in this particular relationship. We know that Priscilla, who is also called Prisca in Romans, is a part of this instruction with her husband. Now, I think that this should teach us that we should not just um, automatically assume that because of Paul's instruction that there was no interaction between men and women when it came to these kind of things, that this was actually something that would be encouraged for us, that men and women, husbands and wives and each other should be talking about biblical things and should be reforming each other in those conversations and sometimes even allowing times of correction. But it does not negate the calling of the structures that God has given for leadership in the home and leadership in the church. And I think one of the most beautiful displays of this that we see is actually in the Old Testament. And this was something that we just recently had gone through with the, the, the men's study in Samuel was in the person of Abigail with David. And I just want to read the interaction that Abigail had with David and highlight here some of the things that this is, this is a very beautiful correction of Abigail to David. And when we think about what we see in Ephesians chapter 5, and when we think about what we see throughout the New Testament concerning our different roles as men and women, but also understanding here that Abigail, who was highlighted as being beautiful and discerning and intelligent and being wise. Look what Abigail does here in 1 Samuel 25 when she finds out that David, seemingly from maybe a prideful anger, is about to kill Nabal. It says, When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face, and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. 
Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for his name is, so he is, Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of the Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you as to seek your life, the Lord, life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living of the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, as he appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause for grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause for, or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Now that's a lot being said here, but... She's basically telling David, you don't want to do this. But she is on the ground and and understanding her role before David, that she is calling herself servant, calling him Lord, and correcting him, saying, you are about to have blood guilt on your hands and how you are reacting here. And David himself knows that he has said before, even in his relationship with Saul, that vengeance is the Lord's and that he was being very careful not to allow himself to take the place of vengeance. And here he was about to do vengeance on his own and Abigail helps him to be restrained, but with a complete posture of understanding of his position. David is impressed. David thanks her. And then David marries her. And then you might understand why in the teaching of the Proverbs that we see that a prudent wife is from the Lord. That her prudence, her intellect, her discernment, but also her humble understanding and posture and her tremendous boldness in coming before David were characters that have been now highlighted and celebrated ever since it happened amongst God's people. And so when we think about Priscilla, and we think about that in connection to the calling that we see and the instruction of the structure of the church, it should not cause us to see it to be in contrast to what Paul is teaching about the structure of the home and the structure of the church. But it's teaching us through Priscilla and Aquila that at this particular relationship is very much an Ephesians 5 type of relationship It is a display of Christ in the church. And for us to speak down about the particular role of a bride is to speak down about the church and is ultimately to speak bad about Jesus Christ. The church should desire to be a beautiful, discerning, bold bride of Jesus Christ. Our posture, both men and women in the church, 
should take on that understanding of what it is to be a bride. We see this even in the Old Testament as the servants of God come to the Lord with boldness and say, your righteousness is at stake. Your name is at stake. And we we see this with Abraham saying, if I could just be so bold to say, God, you have said in your word that you will preserve your people. That is the posture that we are called to have. It is the posture that women are to have. And to silence them is to go against the very celebration of what we have been given in the Scripture. But to title them and to position them in places of leadership that God Himself has specifically told us not to do is to be beyond the arrogance of what the world might do because we should know better that even Abigail and Priscilla and Ruth and these heroes of the faith that are women, they knew how to operate within their calling and intellect according to the command of God. Both of these things can be held up. Both of these things are the calling of the church, the bride of Christ. And we should not, by all means, we should not be speaking despairingly about the church. Because when you speak bad about my wife, if you ever do, I don't think anybody does. I'm not accusing anybody of this. You're talking bad about me. I mean, I would hope that any husband that would hear people saying anything bad about their wife, that they would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And they would take it personally. Well, imagine what it is in Christ's eyes when we speak bad about the church. It is a beautiful display. It is to be called it to be a beautiful display. We are not perfect. We are broken. We are definitely sinners in need of a Savior. But we are the bride of Christ. There should be an honoring and understanding. There should be an honoring and understanding of women. I think it's a wonderful thing. I can see how Paul would set forth this couple in Ephesus to help encourage and strengthen the disciples along with the word of God and the instruction of God so therefore that they could be strengthening all the disciples in a display of Christ in the church. It's a beautiful picture. Our marriages should be like that. We should be both understanding our callings and our positions, but also our giftings and our ability. We should celebrate. I tell you with all definite certainty that my wife has kept me from much sin, (laughs) has guided me with great humility, And I'm so very thankful. And when I say that house and wealth is from fathers and a prudent wife is from the Lord, I I own that particular proverb. So we should encourage women to be both beautiful and intelligent and discerning and bold. But also we should encourage both our men and women to be according to the calling that they've been given in God's word. That is their personal devotion being displayed here in Ephesus and being displayed for us in the scriptures to both celebrate and to reflect also in our own lives. And then lastly, we see here, we see where this merges in their conversation with Apollos, where we see that he is competent. He has learned in the way. He is 
fervent in spirit. He is accurate. He is bold. He is powerful. But we see here that they are working together. They are strengthening together. Surely Apollos was strengthening Priscilla and Aquila as he is preaching there before them. But then they had an opportunity to build into him and to encourage greater reformation amongst them all by being together, spending time with each other, and having communication with each other that is based upon the kingdom-centric calling of our lives. And there is no confusion here. It is not like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, you know, why don't you ask Priscilla to step outside here for a moment and we'll have this conversation Priscilla did not become ordained. She did not become a pastor of a church. But she was a part of the relationship and the building up of the kingdom of God. And we should reflect that. We should celebrate that. And then we should remember what is actually going on here was in the first part of the chapter when Paul has Jesus comes before him and says, you need to keep on speaking with boldness. Don't be afraid I will be with you. We need to let those words resonate into this, that this particular activity of spending time with each other and people having their lives devoted to God's word, people seeking to be focused in their posture toward the kingdom and building each other up in their communication is actually the fulfillment of Jesus Christ in saying that I will be with you. If you remember in the Great Commission, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And this is what exactly is going on, baptizing them. This is exactly what's going on in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is exactly what's going on. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Don't forget that this is what is replicated again in Acts 1 as we begin this particular book of the Bible. It says, Until the day he was taken up after he had given commands, the Holy Spirit to all the apostles whom he had chosen, he says to them, I will be with you. This is the same moment as he is being ascended into the right hand of God at the throne of his kingdom. He pours out his spirit upon his people and the church is birth and it is operating in this that Jesus is inside of all of this narrative. And it is why Apollos, after this interaction and after all of his life of devotion, he is more clearly and more accurately now able, as this particular chapter ends, to preach through the scriptures that Christ is was Jesus. The King Savior, the Savior King, is this Jesus Christ. And he is amongst them in his kingdom as he has called them and commanded and as he has promised through the power of his Holy Spirit. And we're seeing it displayed here in this narrative. And I pray that we're seeing it displayed in our own lives. As we come to this table together, remembering that this is a king's table, it is a king-centric table, but it is a communion table. You cannot take this online. I've seen people try in the last couple of years. You can't. You need to come. You can't can't do it. You come together here and we take from this bread and we take from this cup. To celebrate the king's reign, the king's salvation, and our devotion together in the name of Jesus Christ. Let us do so now.
Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank